Food Heals Nation, what have you been doing lately when it comes to truly caring for your skin? Have you tried any of the light therapy facials or the LED masks? I've shared on this show how I use lasers to completely remove my brown spots in the past, and I love anything that can help me with wrinkles or blemishes or redness or scars. I find a lot of great products on YouTube that I test out, and I've just discovered a new brand. It's called Lima, and when you see the before and afters on YouTube, you're going to be a convert too. They are changing the way that you care for your skin on actually a profoundly scientific level. This is the Lima laser. It's the world's most powerful clinic grade cosmetic laser device and the only laser FDA cleared for at home use. Why this is important is because I was spending, I'm not going to tell you how much, way too much money years ago when I was getting rid of those brown spots when I was really healing my skin. And now This same type of technology is available at home, and I'm here for it. I am so excited. So this is a near-infrared laser light that penetrates deep into the dermis, simultaneously working on your fat, muscle, and bone to give you like a non-surgical facelift. It transforms your skin. It helps skin issues like wrinkles, sagging, blemishes, pigmentation, redness, breakouts, and scars. And it does this with zero damage, zero pain, and zero downtime. And I remember the lasers that I used to do, they did have some downtime, so this is great. Make sure to check out some of the before and after photos on the website so you can see what I'm talking about. They have YouTube videos too. But the reason it's groundbreaking is it uses that near-infrared low-level light technology, which is completely cold and painless, and it's 100 times more powerful than an LED. And the craziest part is you can even use it with a full face of makeup. So check it out for yourself. Visit lima.life. L is for live. Y is for younger. M is for masterful. A is for approved, and learn more about the Lima Laser. If you're interested in trying one today, you can sign up for their newsletter. Tell them that Food Heals sent you, and please let me know if you order one. I want to hear about your results. Again, it's lima.life, L-Y-M-A dot life. Y'all, oh my God, Food Heals Nation, I just got the softest sheets and pajama set from Cozy Earth, and I had to go and get you a discount code too, so that you could experience the coziness as well. You can visit CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEALS, and you'll get an exclusive 35% off. So Cozy Earth, it's like your one-stop shop for what they call the luxury she deserves. So listen up, guys because this could make a great gift for that special someone, your girlfriend, your wife, the mother in your life. And don't forget, Mother's Day will be here before we know it. So get a gift for the mom or moms. Here's a nice little gift you could ask for. Anyways, let's start with the sheets to transform your sleep. The coolest thing about Cozy Earth Bedding is that it is temperature regulating. So you stay cool, which is so important when you're sleeping. Plus they are just so soft. It feels like I'm sleeping on a cloud. Plus I love the cozy earth quality and longevity promise. All products come with a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty. So incorporating cozy earth products into your self-care routine can enhance your sleep quality and just overall wellness. So Again, this is the luxury you deserve. You can treat yourself to the ultimate in comfort and indulgence with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize your self-care and sleep health. 
And while you're at it, don't forget to check out the Bamboo Pajama Set. It was awarded Oprah's Favorite Things in 2019, so you know it's good. I love the softness and breathability of the fabric, and it has these really great side pockets. And don't forget that by supporting our sponsors, you support this show. Head over to CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEALS for an exclusive 35% off, and go get your mom the luxury she deserves on Mother's Day at CozyEarth.com with promo code FOODHEALS. Food Heals Podcast, episode 225. I was in and out of hospital, 17 operations. I was told I wouldn't walk again properly, let alone where I'd be able to do sporting activities, especially things like running. This is not a homogenized race that's constructed in order to make it nice. It's scary. You know, you walk in there and you see people, you don't know if they're dead or alive. I am trying to do something positive with my running. I'm not just out eyeing up a trophy or thinking I need to get my time down. I am doing this with a reason and it isn't any of those things. Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put down the Ben and Jerry's, get off the couch, and take a walk outside. If you experience any of these symptoms, tell your Facebook friends immediately. All right, welcome, Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining me. I'm Allison Melody. Today, we're chatting with two really incredible people with quite a story to share. Keegan Kuhn is the award-winning co-director of the documentary we all know and love, Cowspiracy, which was executive produced for Netflix by Leo DiCaprio. Okay, (laughs) pretty impressive. He also co-directed the highly controversial and groundbreaking film, What the Health, produced by Joaquin Phoenix, another big name behind the movement. So incredible. And now Keegan is the director of Running for Good, the Fiona Oaks documentary, which comes out today. I had an opportunity to see a pre-screening of the film and it is so inspiring. It is such a testament to the power of the human body and the resilience of the human spirit. So it's about Fiona, and she has made a name for herself as an endurance runner. She is the fastest woman in the world to run a marathon on all seven continents and the North Pole in both cumulative and elapsed time. She has competed internationally in more than 50 marathons and set five marathon course records around the globe, including the Antarctic Ice Marathon. I can't even imagine how cold that is. And get this, she achieved all of this after 17 radical knee surgeries and being told at the age of 14, she would never run again, okay? She doesn't have a kneecap. It's an incredibly inspiring interview and an even better film. I can't wait to share it with you, Food Heals Nation. But first, don't forget that we are going to Italy in 2019. It'll be our second annual Food Heals Vegan Italian Getaway. I'm so excited. Let us know if you want to join us before the price goes up November 30th. We are going to the Amalfi Coast where we're going to stay in a gorgeous villa. We're going to eat all the olives from the olive trees. We're going to drink all the wine from the grapes grown on property. Everything is organic and vegan and delicious. We're going to go on 
boat rides. We've got our infinity pool. We're going to explore the local towns like Positano. We're going to go shopping. We're going to immerse ourselves in the beautiful Italian culture. It's really a getaway. It's a vacation. It's a sisterhood. We form wonderful bonds. Everyone that went on last year's retreat is now, I can easily call my sister. We get to know each other on a really deep level. It's such a life-changing experience. And I don't use that word lightly. It truly is an experience like I've never had before. Leslie Durso, our vegan chef, works with the chefs in Italy to prepare us the most decadent Italian food you have ever ever eaten. There are some things I will never forget that we had, and I can't wait to go back and have more. So if you want to look at pictures from last year's retreat, you can search the hashtags on Instagram, Food Heals Italy and Food Heals Retreat, and they should all pop up. You can also go to foodhealsnation.com slash Italy and download the retreat brochure so you can see exactly what you're going to get. The dates again, June 15th to June 22nd. You'll see all the pictures from last year. It really is the best time of year to go. There's not too many tours tourist quite yet. It's not quite as hot. So it's just great weather. It's a beautiful experience. I truly hope that you will join Food Heals Nation for the ultimate vegan Italian getaway. Again, that's all at foodhealsnation.com slash Italy. And next up, my interview with Keegan and Fiona. The Food Heals Podcast starts now. Slightly before my teenage years, I developed a problem. I was in and out of hospital, 17 operations. I was told I wouldn't walk again properly, let alone be able to do sporting activities, especially things like running. I was going to be registered disabled at one point because it looked so hopeless. That was an incredibly challenging time. Three-time world record runner Fiona Oakes is the fastest woman to run a marathon on all seven continents. She has globally set five marathon course records, including the North Pole and Antarctica. I definitely know what it's like to suffer myself, though I can relate to it with other beings, whether they be human or not. In 2017, Fiona took on a 156-mile run. It is considered the toughest foot race on Earth, self-sufficient in the Sahara Desert. It's not going to be easy. When you've been told you're not going to walk again, to be out there doing that, that's never going to be easy. And this is the one race that you have to pay insurance for repatriation if you die. This is not a homogenised race that's constructed in order to make it nice. It's scary. You know, you walk in there and you see people, you don't know if they're dead or alive. I am trying to do something positive with my running. I'm not just out eyeing up a trophy or thinking I need to get my time down. I'm doing this with a reason and it isn't any of those things. He's a director, producer, cinematographer, editor, animator, and composer, and co-director of the films Cowspiracy and What the Health, now director of the brand new film that came out today, Running for Good. Please welcome Keegan Kuhn. Thanks so much for having me. She's the star of Running for Good. She holds four world records for marathon running despite losing a kneecap from an illness when she was 17. She juggles a demanding training plan while also caring for over 450 animals at her animal sanctuary. Please welcome vegan athlete Fiona Oaks. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. I mean, we've been hanging out for a few minutes, and one thing that struck me about the film and just meeting you in person is how humble you are. (laughs) 
thank you. I don't, I don't, I, I've not got anything to be big-headed about. I, um, I, I don't do, the, do anything that I do for a claim for myself. I just right. want the world to be a better place for animals, and I'm doing whatever I do to try and make that happen. But the magnitude of the problem I'm trying to deal with and address is so great that whatever I do, it's insignificant. I don't want glory for myself. I don't, I'm not deserving of it. I don't want it. I don't crave it. I just want to, to do what I can whilst ever I'm on this planet. That's all I want to do. That's beautiful. And so take us back. Um, I would love to hear how this all started. You know, I know that you were a vegan and you started as a vegetarian at like three years old, right? So tell, take us back and tell us like, how did you get to where you are? Long journey. (laughs) How long have you got? Um, Yeah, um, I started, I went vegetarian at three years old. None of my family were vegetarian, vegan, animal lovers to a certain extent, but only kind of, you know, mainstream. Um, And um, I just knew there's something deep inside me. I love my family and I see animals as an extension of my own human family. Um, so I um, went, asked my mom. I, I knew where meat comes from. I said, I don't want, want to eat it anymore. That was at the age of three years old. And as I became a little bit older, a bit more sophisticated, started to ask questions about dairy, about leather, about all products. Um, I'm very blessed in that my mom was very honest with me. It caused a lot of problems during mm-hmm. my teenage years. Um, um, she was tr- accused of, amongst other things, child cruelty. Um, but she oh always my asked, God. Yeah, yeah, for allowing me to be vegan. Um, veganism at the time, this was back in the 1970s, because I've been vegan well over 40 years, mm-hmm. um, was akin to an eating disorder. Wow. But my mum stuck by me. In fact, this is the first trip of this nature that my mum hasn't been on with wow. me. She's always usually there. Um, and, yeah, at six years old, I just decided... I, I won't say I decided. It wasn't a decision. I didn't even know what the word vegan was. I just knew I wanted to opt out of something which is abhorrent. Um, that went on for a few years. Then, then I had the phase when I was in and out of hospital. That's when it kind of flagged up the weird diet that she's on. My parents, were, well, my mum especially, was accused of cruelty. It's just, yeah, it's unbelievable today. But even now, I get people write to me and say I've had similar things even in the 21st century. Yep. So it's not unique. And then from there on, it's just that I wanted to nurture animals. So I started to rescue, Uh, always done little bits of rescue. And it's just grown and grown and grown from there. But nothing has ever been planned. It's all been spontaneous, kind of creative veganism, grabbing every opportunity that you get along the way and just running with it. And I very much operate from the heart and the gut instinct. It's not done from the head. So people come to me and say, oh, how do I get to be a like, 238 marathon runner? Or how do I d- run on sanctuary? And I say, I couldn't possibly tell you because I, I don't live in your life. Yeah. You've got to just make every opportunity happen, create opportunities. And that's what it's been about for me. I never quite know what I'm going to do next. But at the time, it feels right and I go with it. It's got to feel right for the animals. That's all that I'm about. I mean, that's so beautiful. And I feel like most people have a health scare or see a video and that's what kind of turns them vegan. But you had this innately inside of you. Yeah. From three years old. Yeah. And probably before that. Yeah. Probably before that. It's always been there. And when I speak to my mother, she said, yeah, the signs were there at the time, you know, Um, but she wasn't looking for them. You know, she always knew there was something different about me, but Mm -hmm. what, I don't know. Um, But um, as I say, it's just kind of just happened and I've just gone with it very fluid just gone with whatever's come um and still I'm doing that and Keegan what was your journey into veganism 
Um, I was really fortunate. I was raised vegetarian. My mm-hmm. mom gave us two rules, which is don't hurt anybody and always question authority, and that don't hurt anybody involved non-humans. Your mom is my hero. She's <laughs> awesome. She's an amazing person. Mm-hmm. And that extension of don't hurt anybody led me to veganism because the dairy industry, sadly, is extremely cruel to animals, and so was the egg industry. Um, so I've been vegan since I was 12 years old. Amazing. And I do remember that story because you've been on the podcast before, but I just wanted to update Food Heals listeners who may be new and not remember. So how did you guys find each other? How did this film come about? So it was really funny. Um, when we were doing Cowspiracy, which I did with my co-director, Kip Anderson, we were doing a crowdfunding campaign and either Fiona or Fiona's partner, Martin, reached out and said, hey, we heard about the film. It looks amazing. If we can be of support of any way, let us know. And I looked up who Fiona was and I thought, if, if we can be of any help to <laughs> yeah. you, you know, what, what can we do for you? And I said to Kip, I said, you know, that would, that's an amazing documentary right there. Like this woman yeah. has done so much and doesn't get the credit that she deserves. And so when it came to the opportunity to do a new project, I thought I'm, I'm going to follow up with her. And so I reached out to Fiona and I said, hey, would you be interested in doing a documentary together? And she said, yeah, sure. Yeah, if, I if you think anybody. I initially thought it was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me. I thought Martin was playing a prank on me. Somebody, you know, Keegan's written and he wants to make a film about you. And I thought, why would anyone want to make a film about me? Because people do find what I do interesting, but bearing in mind I'm doing it, so it's just normal life to me. So why would anyone want to make a film about my normal life? But that's how we kind of met up and... Um, your life is not normal in any world that I'm aware of. Your life is extraordinary. <laughs> so um, I heard that when the filmmakers went to your place, they were like, well, where are all your trophies? And you were like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't run for trophies. That's the thing. I mean, I'm, I'm going to this summit, this athlete summit, and I do my little talks. And the first thing I always stand up and say is, I'm not an athlete. I don't consider myself to be an athlete. I'm not a talented runner. I'm just someone with a passion that's probably driven that extra bit further than most people to train harder, to go out there and get the results for the animals. And people say, well, what do you mean? And I use an example that um, I started marathon running. I just, with frustration, I have been vegan for so long and always it's garnered until very recently negative press oh if you're vegan you're going to be weak you're going to be ill you're not going to you're going to die young you're going to look like you've just been dug up and there was no way of addressing that so I kind of figured um we'd been at the sanctuary looking uh, we'd had the sanctuary for about two three four years and I thought you know this is great I'm rescuing animals and these animals are safe but what about those animals out there? You know, I could rescue 400, 4,000, but what about the billions out there that I can't actually reach out to physically? How can I help them? And I thought, well, I'm bogged down in work at the sanctuary, uh, and I'm not really very good at anything particular, apart from sport. I'm, I'm fairly good at sport. Um, I had this knee injury. Um, I had my knee cut removed. I had a lot of surgeries, and I was told um, that I wouldn't walk properly. In fact, I was quite shocked when I actually saw some of the footage of me running. I thought, oh, I've got to look quite cool. I mean, it's professionally filmed. And then I saw this, like, what looks like a Quasimodo figure running across the desert, sort of limping along. And you can actually see that I do limp quite heavily towards my left side with my right knee. I was told I wouldn't walk properly. You'd never, ever be able to run. But I thought, well, I know I was told I'd never run when I was a teenager, but I don't know till I try. So um, how long, I'm sorry, how long was the time between you were told that and you started running? About 12, 13 years. Okay. In the meantime, I was cycling. 
because I used to cycle because it was continuous motion, no impact, and I could do no that. No impact on yeah, the knees. Yeah, yeah, okay. And that's why I took to cycling. But uh, after we moved to the sanctuary, I just didn't have time for riding a bike. It's expensive. You've got to be out there for several hours. It's just It just wasn't feasible because all my time was invested in looking after the animals. So I thought, well, running, running, it's cheap, it's easy. You can basically do it alone any time, day or night. I'll try it. Particularly at the time, just in the turn of this century, it sounds ages ago, it wasn't quite a long time ago, um, in the UK there was a very great interest in marathon running because Paula Radcliffe at the time was Mm -hmm. achieving great things. So she'd almost created the platform, she created the interest and the audience. So I figured, well, that's the event to do because everyone's considering this the really, really tough event in the athletics calendar is the marathon. If I could do well in that endurance event, it would show categorically that you can be excellent and Mm plant-based. That's all I wanted to do. And that's basically why I kind of fell into marathon running. I certainly didn't pick it for any other reason. Um, It's extremely difficult, and the training was very, very hard to fit in around the sanctuary. Um, But I still say I'm a very amateur runner that has achieved probably uh, professional results. But that passion is, the extra passion is driven by the desire that I'm doing it. So... I don't cover trophies, I don't cover medals, um, I don't have certificates and times, it's not some sort of, you know, um, museum of running excellence at my home, I'm like thinking I've got some trophy from one of the marathons and I use it as a dog bowl, you know, I'm just not interested (laughs) because that's not the reason I'm out there doing it, Um, it's all about getting the word vegan out there to the masses and that's why back in 2004 I think I didn't plan this and this is what I always say to people things that you do accidentally not contrived can have the maximum impact and back in 2004 uh, because I was getting elite starts and races so I was being invited to the Berlin Marathon or Amsterdam or wherever um, it was I was running for a vegetarian cycling and athletics club there mm-hmm. was no vegan runners and I said to a guy in the club um, this is great you know but I'm not a vegetarian I'm a vegan and at that time he said you're getting the kind of results that warrant starting a vegan based running club and that's why and when vegan runners were started peter simpson a guy back in the uk he was doing the um, leg work involved in t- affiliating the club to uk athletics and i was doing the running so i mean i remember back in 2005 running through the streets of london 45 minutes ahead of the main field and the elite men basically wearing a billboard with just the word vegan and this was at a time when I literally was the only vegan in the village there was no other vegan runners it was just me out there and the logic was then you couldn't attack this race by mass entry the only thing I could do was get up to the front and be invited to be out there with the good runners so people would see you know like Paula Radcliffe and you know Susan Chekkamai walking to the start and there'd be well who's that in the vegan runner vest and that's why I, I did start running that's why I've always run. It's of no... I, I enjoy the fact that I can run because obviously you're blessed to be able to do it. But uh, I don't particularly enjoy the event. It's just done for a purpose. I mean, it's crazy to hear that you don't enjoy running. You've never had a trainer. And as a vegan, you have had four world records. Yeah. I mean, come on. Who's with me in here? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is incredible. Yeah, I've never even had a massage. I mean, I've not, I've, not, I've not had anything. I have nothing. I literally have nothing for my running. I am one of those amateur of amateur runners that runs around the house and I'm outside, you know, kind of shoveling or whatever I'm doing. And I'm thinking, I've got to do a train. I've got to do my first session in a little bit. Where can I locate some socks? Well, you know, I literally, I'm literally not self. I would say I'm not 
selfish enough to want to do this, but yeah. I'm selfless enough to go out and do it for them. So, uh, yeah, I have nothing. I'm Miss Amateur. I mean, I go to races, and sometimes I'm completely overwhelmed on the starts. You know, I'm coming from a tiny little kind of peninsula mentality where I'm the only runner. I train alone, um, and then I'm literally whisked away, get off the plane, and you've got, like, um, elite managers and Kenyan and Ethiopian athletes waiting to meet you and greet you, taking you to technical meetings about how you're going to approach this marathon. I'm sitting at the back playing noughts and crosses with my mum, thinking <laughs> all I want to do technically is actually finish it alive from A to B as quickly yeah. as I can. And I remember once I went to the Amsterdam Marathon, and it was the year that Harley Gabriel-Slasty was going to break the world record. He was trying to break the world record. And um, his coach, Jos Herman, had invited me to go there. And I remember going to the race headquarters, as I'd been told to report to the hotel. And the elites were all signing on there. And I kind of sidled in, thinking very uncomfortable, because they all got managers and coaches and goodness as well. I got my mum and Percy. And um, they kind of say, what are you doing here? Oh, and I kind of, I thought, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. I said, I've come to sign on. And they said, um, sign on's at the Olympic Stadium. And I said, oh, no, I've got this, this email, you know. <laughs> they said, oh, my God, you're on the elite start. What, what is this? You know, he's looking at me because I'm not actually built like a marathon runner. I'm far too big for marathon running, I always think. Um, people say, oh, you're quite slim but when you've been on the elite starts with these girls that literally are you know as you know very very light framed uh, and i'm standing there feeling like the love child of mrs blobby and the michelin man and thinking i hope <laughs> they've got a wider angle camera lens on because they're not going to get me all in when they pan across the front of the start um and then you set off and i came he said if you ran really out your skin you could fit, come 15th or 12th which would be a massive massive result and i came eight and i was only beaten by a handful of kenyan and Ethiopian runners who are obviously are talented. Um, so yeah. Well, I would argue that you are just as talented. Um, Keegan, when you met Fiona, you you saw what she was doing, and you were like, "This girl's impressive." What was your impression? Like, what were you thinking? Because I'm thinking, obviously, this is why you made the film. That this is one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. But like, what was your impression upon starting this? It was is that and just the humbleness that you know as fiona says she doesn't think of herself highly as an athlete and yet she's an, <laughs> an elite runner you know she's one of the most achieved ultra athletes in the world yeah. and most really underreported ultra athletes in the world and so that humbleness mixed with you know she has all the reasons to be arrogant for her achievements and she's not because it's, she's not doing it for herself and so i thought just what a perfect story besides also to what a perfect character to highlight we live sadly in a society that really emphasizes and gives a lot of attention to people who are doing things just for their own ego and mm -hmm. here you have somebody who's doing these incredible things not for themselves at all and the slightest is always for in the service of someone else and yeah. i thought that's a story that really needs to be told and, and elevated well you know it's interesting because keegan you said that fiona reached out and said how can i support you so here's fiona saying, how can I be of service? And what happens to her is she ends up with a documentary about her. So it's like, when we are of service, good things can happen to us just because of our good intentions. So I think that's like karma or like just like a good lesson. Like the more that you put out goodness in the world and you do for others or you do for animals, um, what comes back to you, you know? 100%. I totally agree with that because <laughs> that I feel so fortunate for my my own career and it's for that reason is because it was in the service of others is trying to be of service yeah and people have responded to the films and so yeah to pass that on obviously is a big part of it so i want to know both your opinions on this question what do you think um the vegan diet has done for you fiona as an athlete because i know there are plenty of arguments out there against 
the vegan as an athlete. And, you know, I actually, I ran into Kip at the Game Changers documentary screening in uh, Sundance. And everyone in that room was giving it a standing ovation because it was all these plant-based athletes breaking records. And it was just such an incredible film. And people went vegan in the room. But there's a lot of animosity towards this movement. So what do you think about that? Myself, personally, it's really hard to comment. People always want to come and say uh, the before and after. How did you feel after you went vegan and your performances before you went vegan? Well, it's like there isn't a before (laughs) and after. So for me, it's slightly difficult. Obviously, sustainability. I mean, I broke a world record in in, um, June this year. Uh, So it's obviously I've sustained this over many, many years. And Uh, may I ask how old you are? 52. You are amazing. (laughs) You know, it's the sustainability, but for me... It's the more the psychological side of it. I know when I go to a start line, I've prepared myself as best I can mm-hmm. for this, but I haven't harmed another to do it. And that's very, very important for me. And I always say that an athlete's always got to be right in the head yeah. um, for any race. It's very, very difficult for me because the one piece of advice a coach wants to give to me is never go to the start line of a marathon knowing you're carrying an injury because you won't get round. And I never go to the start of a marathon knowing I'm not carrying an injury because I know I've got my bad knee to contend with. And it is difficult for me when I'm running and I'm praying that it won't start really hindering me but the main thing is I, I'm out there and I've got that extra drive to want to go further because I mean at the end of the day no trophy is worth what I'm willing to put myself through out on a race start but the prize for me is that somebody might see the vest every place I can get up the race if I can say I've come 20th in the London Marathon that gives me a tool in the future to go out and say well how can you possibly say that you can't perform on a plant-based diet because I've done this 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 and this and it's actions speak louder than words and before social media there wasn't an opportunity to actually do it in, yeah. in to even put it out there en masse you've got to literally do something that people were interested in and so for you know it is it was difficult and things have changed and that's a previous world that's it's gone now but that's basically uh, why I've always done things and it was actually in um, Amsterdam that Harley Gabriel kind of commented and he said a similar sort of thing he was transitioning from his double Olympic gold in 10,000 meters to the marathon something he'd not got to do but he said what gave him the extra drive was the 10,000 people back in Ethiopia that depended on him Mm. and the income he was bringing to the country for their own livings and that when he didn't feel like getting up at five in the morning and training or doing a double session or doing what is being away from his family that was what drove him there wasn't enough they'd done everything on the track he'd done everything he got the medals but there was something more than that that was driving him on and I think it's, I'm, obviously I'm not comparing myself to his running, uh, but um, that extra motive that gets you there, I think, has always been very vital to my running. It's, it's actually the pivotal to my running because I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't have it. I mean, it sounds to me like it's mind over matter. It is. Yeah. Because you don't have a kneecap. Yeah. And I know I don't have an e-cup. And yeah. I was told, I, even recently when I was having, I was struggling actually with road running and that's why I transitioned over a little bit into the desert adventure races and the more quirky kind of marathons. Um, I went to a doctor and um, he was so adamant that, that I was couldn't not have an e-cup. He insisted on doing an ultrasound to check. 
And Did I was, he not believe you? Yeah, literally. He said, I, I've looked at your running style. You're not that bad. Um, I was <laughs> You're him, okay. I'm dreadful. I think he You're thought I was okay. going to kind of run with crutches. And then he said, you know, I need to look. And I'm kind of shouting out to my mum, mum, it's right. I haven't got an kneecap up because I'm never... And she said, no, no, you haven't got a kneecap. And when he actually looked, he said, I don't know what that consultant's done inside that knee, but he's done it well because you can obviously do what you can do, but yeah. there is no kneecap. And it's absolutely, it's like a fulcrum pivot. You should have a kneecap to run. And I haven't got one. So Incredible. <laughs> And going back to that question, Keegan, what are your thoughts on, you know, vegan athleticism and um, does it hinder you? Does it make you stronger? You know, yeah. I think I know the answer. But mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, clearly we've seen through you know, numerous ultra athletes who have switched over to a plant based diet. And, you know, some of the most elite athletes to have switched over to plant based diet have seen improvements in their performance and just simple things like inflammation. You know, if you're lowering your mm-hmm. inflammation through not eating highly acidic and flaming foods like meat, dairy and eggs. Yeah course your recovery time is going to be better and therefore you're going to be able to train that much harder you're going to be able to push that much harder um but i think what fiona said is exactly it is that when people are motivated by something deeper than themselves they can go that extra mile because if you're doing something just for your own ego or you're doing something just for a trophy or even a paycheck you're only going to push so hard but if that if that means something more it's life and death and it's their life you know it is that's what you're running for and when you're running the most precious thing you do extra. You just do what you dig it out from wherever it's got to come from. And so to clarify, you are running to support your rescue farm. I run to support the rescue, but that's not actually the reason I ever took to marathon running. Okay. Yeah, okay. Basically, when I started to, to look at what would it take to be a good marathon runner, I decided, because I couldn't get a coach, I went to a couple of people who said, you know, you've got potential, you've got a good half marathon, 10K times. But the problem we've got is we're not going to waste our time investing in you because you've also got this quirky diet that's going to be prohibitive. I said, well, the diet is not up for negotiation, so I will go it alone. And this is at a time before you could Google uh, sub three hour marathon training program and just get something thrown back at you right. I had to do it by trial and error and it's basically been a long trial and a lot of errors you know okay but at that time that's why I kind of formulated what worked for me I have no talent so I have to work very very hard I think what Keegan <laughs> said about the longevity for me yeah and the recovery you're only as good the marathon you can run on the day is only a testament to the amount of training you've been able to do running up to it so if you're going to train hard then get injured train you're not going to it's got to be sustainable it's got to be consistent what you're doing and that's what my training has always been basically I just used to like two big races a year train for them go to them because there was expenses paid because I haven't got a lot of money with sanctuary and just hit them hard but I didn't really yeah it was a factor in terms of the fact that when I was kind of winning smaller races you know 10k's half the local press would say you know oh that was a great time you've broken a course record what do you do for a living oh I've got an animal sanctuary so I kind of formulated how is this going to work because I'm going to have to dedicate time to this I'm going to have to get sort of decent results so you get free advertising for the sanctuary, but the main goal is to promote the fact that I'm healthy, I, I've been healthy, I continue to be healthy, and I'm plant-based, and I'm very proud of that. And um, that's the main reason that I run to promote veganism. It's just something that I can use my body for to give back to, in, to activism. Beautiful. And so as you guys are making this film together... Um, what were some of the things, Keegan, that you saw that kind of blew your mind? I mean, there, there's a lot. There's a lot in there. Because the film chronicles Fiona's uh, first three world records. 
but then it also follows her running through Marathon de Salva, which is a 156-mile race through the Sahara Desert, self-sufficient. So she had to carry all of her own food, everything she needed for the course of a week to run this race. And this is a gnarly race, considered the toughest foot race on Earth. So in the film, we see her running with the backpack, and I'm like, I can barely run with like my little waistband. <laughs> That's it. And so she's running with this you know, 25-pound pack, 30-pound pack, wow. a marathon every single day through sand and mountain ranges. Yeah, uh, so let's just clarify. It's not just 26 miles. Sorry, not just... It's not only 26 miles, but it's a marathon every day for how many days? So it's six days, but there's one of those days is a double marathon. So it's two marathons back to back. My jaw is just wide open. Please continue. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I got to see her go through that and, you know, be in awe of her achievement to do that. Um, but it's really the day to day. The fact that Fiona runs, you know, anywhere to 20 miles a day while still taking care of 450 animals every single day. That's you know again going back to the sustainability and the longevity of it like her diet has carried her through for the last 20 plus years taking care of this huge workload of caring for all these animals and training on top of it and that's really what i find most impressive to be honest about fiona is that the longevity you might be able to train really hard and take care of animals for a couple months before you burn out but to do it for 20 plus years that's pretty astounding it is astounding absolutely (laughs) And as, as Fiona blushes, she doesn't take uh, praise very well. I know, I can tell. It's okay. We're going to keep doing a Fiona love fest. <laughs> Hopefully she absorbs just a little bit of it. Food Heals Nation, you remember Daisy. She was on the podcast and shared her story of growing up with acne and scarring since third grade. She was bullied. She was made fun of by her classmates, and she just couldn't take it anymore. So she sought to make a change, not only for herself, but for the acne and skin industry as a whole. After trying product after product, she discovered certain ingredients found in most skincare made her skin worse. Many of the products she used contained fragrances, dyes, and silicones, which aggravated her skin. So she worked together with a chemist friend to make skincare without all those harsh, crappy ingredients. And she documented her own skin healing journey on her YouTube channel. Which is beautiful because she was on there like a real honest person showing everyone exactly what she was doing and it worked. So she now has gorgeous skin, flawless skin, and everyone wants to know what is her secret? Well, her secret is Banish. It is the beautiful line of healthy skincare products, which includes this amazing pumpkin enzyme mask, activated charcoal clay masks, and their signature product is the Banish Kit. The Banish Kit comes with The Banisher. I love saying it that way. (laughs) It sounds like a cartoon character. The Banisher. And the Banish Oil Vitamin C Serum. The Banisher works. (laughs) No, it's a wrestler. The Banisher is like a worldwide. (laughs) It's a cartoon wrestler. It's a cartoon wrestler. You'll heal your skin. (laughs) It's true. The Banisher works by creating micro wounds into the skin in a controlled manner to cause skin to renew itself because the skin thinks it's injured, which it technically is on a tiny, tiny level. The Banish Oil is a vitamin C serum. You guys know how I love vitamin C. Containing L-ascorbic acid, the most potent form of vitamin C. 
I love my vitamin C. I've been mega dosing on the vitamin C internally and externally. It's really making a difference. We know Susie's story of her grandfather who lived to be 99 years old with no wrinkles, which gives me hope. No wrinkles. So much hope. I mean, that tells you so much about like the power of this stuff. And the oil doesn't have any dyes, no artificial preservatives, no junk added. So the skin will actually absorb the good ingredients without the bad. And you'll be able to tell right away if your oil is fresh because it will arrive clear and it would actually turn orange if it had oxidized. So that's something to look out for. That's really important to note because I have bought vitamin C serum, which was orange. And mm-hmm. later I learned if it's orange, it means it's already oxidized. It's not as good. It's an antioxidant. So if it's oxidized, it's not going to be helpful for your skin. Really good to know. So if you get it that way, send it back, you know, get a new product. Yeah. So together, this set can help fade the look of fine lines, uneven texture, hyperpigmentation, and even scarring without any downtime. And the products are made fresh to order. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee. Go to Banish.com. Use the code FOODHEALSNATION for $10 off your first order. You're listening to the Food Heals Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. So what Food Heals Nation wants to know is, you're a runner. What does a vegan marathon runner eat? Eat. I don't know what other vegan marathon runners eat, but what do, you what eat? do I eat? Well, <laughs> I've got a pretty exceptional kind of lifestyle because, as you said, I've got 450 other mouths to feed. So mine yeah. genuinely is the last one that gets focused on. I only actually eat one meal a day in the evening, and that is based of basically what is available and inexpensive. I have no particular preference, as long as it's obviously plant-based. And I always say that people do focus a lot on diet with, with um, athletics. Some people might need to. I, can, I kind of attack it slightly differently. Um, but I think always it's in the back of my mind. I live in a country, I come from the UK, where we have enough food to eat. So debating whether it's the right food or it's fancy food or I find you know I particularly desire that food is always seems a bit distasteful to me when so many people simply don't have any food Mm -hmm. at all a lot of fresh stuff pulses grains um nuts um very basic stuff very inexpensive stuff always always wary cost uh, because of the animals and um, it's nothing spectacular. I mean, even when I went to Marathon de Sable, people have got, you know, all sorts of fancy stuff. I don't take gels when I'm running. I've, when I'm in a road race and I've run 238, I've never had anything more than water on the course. I do train. It's more for me. It's not about the diet. It's about the focus, the training that I do. And I train very, very hard because you can't race hard if you don't train hard. They're the simple facts. So you can spin it round and certain products might give you a little bit of an edge. They might mm-hmm. suit some people, might not suit some people, but the bare facts are you've got to really want it not just on race day but on every day that you're hacking out there as I do in the UK in the snow in the wind in the rain in the heat trying to cram a session in here there and everywhere you've really got to want to make it happen and that's what I focus on and um, so when I was growing up I was on a competitive swim team and every night we had no awareness of health so please just (laughs) bear with me but um, we would carbo load every night before a swim race I was eating massive amounts of pasta way too much for my body at the time and I think about that now that we were told this is how you will best perform the next day and I think about that now and I'm like if I ate a bowl of pasta and tried to run the next day I would die 
So what is the myth about how much you should eat before running and what do you do? For me, my training is a very big focus. If I'm doing a marathon, a road marathon, I want a quick time. Three weeks before, and then the training, the emphasis about the actual running goes on to the tapering. Okay. And for me, the, that week, though, especially the week before a race, you want to be fluid loading, making sure that you're well hydrated, not just try and cram it all in the day before. And like you say, unusually... I don't actually have a lot the day before a marathon and I don't actually have anything on the morning of the race, which people find weird. Yeah. <laughs> but you, then you'll find them that when you're walking back from the um, race headquarters and you're changed and you're going for a walk around the city, somebody hobbling to the finish and saying, oh, didn't you finish? And they say, no, I've, I've actually been back to the hotel, got changed, you know, got my prize and, you know, now I'm off with my mum to have a look around. And um, they say, I don't know what happened to me. I had a terrible stomachache. And one guy actually said to me, uh, I think it's that um, sandwich I had on the start line, you know, so to be, and it's literally like that. So I, the day before, I have very, very little. I have enough calories, but not massive bulk. Do carbo load certain in the week before, but not massively mm-hmm. because I train very hard anyway. I mean, my body's not going to go into sudden shock because every Sunday morning in, in when I'm training, I'll be running between 22 and 28 miles. It's just that on race day, I'll have tapered for it and I'll be able to go that bit harder. So I think to myself, you've got to put yourself through it during your training period so your body isn't suddenly shocked and think, hang about, this is a funny pain. I've not been here before. You know what to expect. Um, So for me, my training is, the emphasis is slightly different, but there is absolutely nothing fancy in it. I mean, people do say, I don't advocate people doing this. I don't actually go out when I'm running longer distances, up to 20 miles, I don't even carry water. I don't need it. What? Yeah, I don't carry water. Uh, And that's, we've had a hot spell, you know, I will train hard. I I like to make myself suffer and punish myself because I've got nothing else that I can, I haven't got a coach to talk to. I haven't got fancy gadgets. I haven't got access to things that other athletes have got. I've just got myself. So I try to make every session pay. And so I figure, okay, I got in hot weather. I I can get fluid, don't get me wrong, I run in the locale. I can call it you know, friends, I think I was in trouble, but I, I like to discipline my mind and focus myself. This is what I'm setting about to do. And then I know that I've got a little bit of a fallback on race day. I know how to drink when I'm running. So I know that from mile one, I will take fluids on. My body's used to it. That's what, that's what I do. And when I actually talk to, and I've been very lucky enough to talk to some really talented runners, top level runners, it's pretty similar what they're doing, wow. to be honest with you. Um, and that is the truth of what I do. Yeah. I mean, it's not my world. I know that for me, running or working out on an empty stomach is best or with a small pre-workout supplement or a very tiny bit of a smoothie or a teeny bit of coffee is fine. But anything else, I have to be empty stomach. Otherwise, I am held back by the food that my body's trying to digest. Even if it's been a few hours, I like to run or work out on an empty stomach and it just feels best. And it sounds like what you're doing on a regular basis is intermittent fasting. Yeah. And it actually gets you used to it on race day. And I always say to people, just remember this. Marathon, you don't have to be particularly quick. You've only got to run 10 miles an hour to yeah. do a 236, 237 marathon. You've got to be able to sustain it from mile one to mile 26.2. And I use a point in case where I have a friend, who, a guy who was looking for a sub-230 marathon in London. And he was on track for it. And in the last 800 metres, he absolutely blew up. And it took him 
eight minutes and he ran in at 2.38. Wow. So, you know, you can lose more in a marathon than you can ever gain and stomach cramps and things like that are going to cost you far more. You know, a gel that's really a little bit lacking a training, that's going to cost you if you can't, if you get a problem. So that's what I tend to focus on, just the basic things, you know. And regular stuff, I mean, stuff that people don't want to talk about, like managing your food, um, what you take in, allows you to manage what comes out. And that's very important on a race. It's not something that's really nice to talk about because you do read the interviews in like some of the magazines, you know, run your quickest marathon with short, three short training sessions and never break a sweat. It might happen for somebody, I don't know, but it's certainly not going to happen in my world. And it's not pretty to listen to, but that's what actually, if you really want to go out there, hit it hard and get the results, that's what I've done. And it has worked and it's worked time and time and year in, year out for me. So I just stick with it. I feel like you're busting all the myths of like all everything online. That's like, you must do it this way. It has to be done this way or it's not going to work. And you're like, I have no kneecap. I'm vegan. I'm amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been like, yeah, I mean, you do get people. Certainly when I started vegan running, people were actually doubtful, oh, you won't be able to complete it, especially things like Marathon Starball. But, you know, then you've got that extra anger aspect that, you know, I'm going to prove you, you know, yeah. and if you're doubting my vegan diet, you're going to be kissing this when, you know, I'm passing you or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, then they come to you at the end. And, you know, if I've done two lap marathons, people have actually thought I'm on the first lap when I'm running in for the second lap and winning yeah. I've won marathons and beat everybody in the field men and women you know and that's my my expression I haven't got time to literally address everyone uh, concerns or doubts or uh, you know feeling toward veganism but if you go out there and make a statement I won so what what have I got to say yeah. you know that that's what I I've always worked to um but I know I as I say I was at a race once and um it was Gabriel Celeste who actually said to me, you know, well, what do you, you know, I was asking him, what do you do? What do you do? And he actually told me he even makes his own sports drink. And the sports oh, cool. drinks, and that's what I was going to go back with. It's just consumerism. I don't actually have a message. Of, I'm not trying to sell anything. Um, I, know, uh, I know. I just want to sell <laughs> that idea. You can do this plant-based. It's not about me. It's not about me bragging. It's just about that word, vegan. You can do it if you believe. You can do it. And... Um, but it's not a very lucrative message that I'm trying to sell. It's not a product. It's not something, if you buy this, you'll do it. Can you we just buy to. you? Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, you Put know. Put you in my body and then I just run. <laughs> yeah. But even the gay, like it was gay trade at the time and those sort of fancy drinks, you know, they might be fine for some people. That's something I've never had, can't afford. You know, and, uh, you know, Gabriel Sassi told me it's just like, he has just like one part pure orange, five parts water, a bit of salt and a bit of glucose in yeah. there. And that does the trick. Yeah. But it's not selling it's not a marketing thing for me it's just about okay I'll do that because if it works and it's cheap that's great for sure yeah and Keegan so you are working on this film and you're seeing what she's doing and I know from the filmmaking world we're at 12 hour day minimums working in film there is set catering there's lots of food how were you guys working on this film what were you eating were you inspired by her one meal a day like you're obviously vegan already but like what were you eating while you're while you're doing this and how are you sustaining the fact that you have to film marathon after marathon after marathon which must be exhausting i can imagine yeah i mean i was super inspired i started running because of fiona actually i wasn't a runner before wow i realized that i had to be halfway in decent shape to make a movie about a runner though yeah. <laughs> um, but i did i got really inspired and started doing just one meal a day and so when i work i only eat one meal a day because as you said it's long hours making movies and it saves a ton of time it saves a ton of money too if you're doing a lot of yeah. low budget productions and then you just one less thing you have to worry about you eat at the end of the day and it's easier and my energy stays up you know a lot yeah. of people they eat 
a big meal at lunch and then they're sleepy, yeah. right? Your body naturally wants to digest that food and take it easy in the afternoon. But if you skip that and you do the intermittent fasting, just one meal in the evening, your energy can sustain the whole day. So I think that's really fascinating. And for me, I feel the same way. I know some people that don't and they need to graze and have like a little bit of something all the time. So it's like, well, you can have some nuts or you can do something, have a banana, whatever. But I have found it really, really productive for me when I don't have to think about lunch. And I'm like, I'm going to have one early dinner. And I don't do this every day, but I do it when I'm in control of everything and I don't have an event or a party or a dinner or whatever. I do it when I'm in control of my day. And you could argue you're always in control of your, of your day. But what I mean is when I don't have a commitment. And it really helps me because I'm like, okay, I'm super focused and I can keep going and I do my workout with no food. I might do a smoothie or a juice or a coffee or one or two of those. And then I can sustain until dinner time. And then you eat dinner, but you're not eating two meals. So you're less full the next day and it gives you energy for the next day. And there's a bunch of science to back it up too as yeah. well. I mean, there's a lot of research that shows that intermittent fasting or, or only eating during a four or five hour window yes. during the day, you know, whether that's 10 to four or whatever it is, uh, or 10 to two. And so, and it makes sense too, again, even if you're eating the cleanest plant-based diet, if you're eating all the time, your body's going to have to, you know, digest that. It's going to take energy. It's going to slow everything down. And so, yeah, eating well and giving your body as much time as possible to digest that, it seems to work. And clearly it works for Fiona. Yeah. And that's what, what was happening is I was getting the mid-afternoon slump even as a vegan. And so it's like, it doesn't matter what diet you follow. It depends on how your body is digesting. So some people might digest faster than others. Some people might digest slow. I, it's my belief that I digest slower because when I was at my functional medicine doctor, she was like, if you thrive that way, that means that you're slower to digest. So the less time you have to spend digesting, the more time you have brain food, okay? So you've, the more time you have for creativity, the more time you have for physical fitness, the more time you have for the things that you're coveting, doing more of. So that kind of put a switch in me because originally I was told... You have low blood sugar. You have to eat every five minutes. And not every five minutes, but I'm just saying all the time. And I was exhausted. And I was like, I'm eating well. I'm doing all the things, taking all the supplements, working out enough. Why am I exhausted? Okay. I personally think for me, it was because I was eating too much, even if it was small amounts, even if it was plant-based, it was still too often too much. My digestion was constantly digesting. So then when I discovered intermittent fasting, I was like, oh. This feels great. And I don't do it every day, but I do it a lot. I do it probably 70%. It's great. You know? So I feel like that's amazing for just your day-to-day person or your ultra award-winning marathon runner or filmmaker working all those long hours. And if you're filming What the Health, Cowspiracy, and Running for Good, is your crew being influenced? So the, there's an assumption that there's a crew, there's no crew. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's just you and a camera? Pretty much. And so, I mean, with... with Cowspiracy and What the Health, it was Kip and I. There's literally no one else. I uh, am so amazed. Yeah, I'm so, so impressed. So when we filmed Marathon to Sabo, 156 miles through the Sahara Desert, it was yeah. literally just me because wow. there was... So yeah, the crew stayed to the whole... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What an amazing crew. You're such a good influence on your crew. <laughs> That's so awesome. You know, and because of my background, I am picturing like, well, at least you had like five people. You had a PA, you know, you had all these things. Wow, good for you. So that keeps the cost down. Definitely keeps the cost down. It makes things simple too, you know, logistics wise. There was other crews filming out at MDS this Mm -hmm. the year that I was out there. And they said, hey, where's all your gear? Because I had just a backpack 
in a small camera bag, I said, this is it. Yeah. You know, and if you got five people, then you've got all that gear. You've got all that as expenses. You've got to take care of those people. So, mm-hmm. yeah, keep it simple. And, and it's kind of very the much... Logistics, yeah, you, logistics. Because you know what you've done. That's what I say at the sanctuary. Okay, you could have loads of volunteers and then you spend hours asking, have you done that? Have you done that? Have you done that? But if there's one person, you know, if it's if you haven't done it, it's not gotten done, yeah. you know. So it does. there are benefits to it. And uh, we say in the UK, if you want something doing, ask a busy person. Yeah. <laughs> you can always, a busy person can always find a way, you know. Brilliant. So it works. All right, so Fiona, who did you bring to the podcast table? Well, the real star of the film. Yes. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is Percy Bear. Um, he is very cute, um, and uh, everybody loves him, especially himself. He really loves himself. I can tell. And um, he goes everywhere with me, North Pole, Antarctica, everywhere in between. He's always there on scene, Sahara Desert. Actually, there was a moment in the Sahara Desert. I was actually, it was in my backpack, and I was pouring water on myself to try and cool myself down. And I realised I was pouring it on Percy, and he was becoming enormously heavy to carry. Oh, no! And at one point, into, like, the long stage, about... 20-odd miles to go, I looked at him and thought, you're a bit too heavy to carry, Percy. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, car- I carried on with him. So he's like my alter ego, and I guess he takes some of the attention away because I don't really like the attention, but he loves it. So he can have the attention, and I'll just, like, carry behind the bags and kind of moan along, and he can go and get in the forefront of it all. So that's who Percy is with his little friend. This is the Adventure Pig and Brian the Sheep. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so he carries his own little sanctuary with him. If it gets any bigger, though, I will not be taking him back to MDS next year because it's too (laughs) heavy. (laughs) And um, is he your inspiration? Yeah, he's my inspiration, my motivation. He's friendly, he's happy. It's amazing, even when you get into the most dire situations. I mean, I was sharing when Keegan filmed me with seven guys, you know, great big guys, and it's like, they were quite concerned. You've still got Percy, haven't you, Fiona? Or, you know, he's there. And, yeah, it just kind of breaks the ice, and people think, okay, she might be a little bit different, alternative, but... It's amazing the smiles a small teddy bear can bring to people in the bizarrest of situations. And so I love him and everybody out there on the internet really loves him. And he he likes his sweets and his little stories and his cheeky chappy. So, yeah, he's just a little bit of a novelty thing that, you know, brings pleasure to people. So um, I go with it. And he's he's also very cute. Yeah. (laughs) And so Percy made it into the film. Tell us about that, Keegan. Yeah, I mean, so Percy's just another element of Fiona's whole story. Um, and it is this, it's this great avenue in to have a conversation. Because I think a big part of what Fiona does and, and the motivation behind it is to get people to ask her the question, you know, why are you doing these things? Why did you set a world record? Why are you running these extreme races? And Percy's just one more avenue for mm. someone to say, why are you running with a teddy bear? Mm. Uh, yeah. And so, again, since he's a mascot for the the sanctuary is perfect and then one of the things that we highlight in the film is that there's the percy supporter club yeah <laughs> and so yeah. fiona has hundreds of these percy bears stuffed animal bears at her sanctuary that people have sent her from around the world that started at the north pole when percy, oh. percy broke the world record at the north pole and he went out there with me everybody's oh percy at the north pole and there's a funny story i was getting him out of my pocket to come up to the, this is the end of the north pole marathon i've got 800 meters to go and it's like minus whatever it was out there really cold and i went to get him out of my pocket and he dropped his little hat oh. so i had to go and look for it and i'm thinking what am i doing there's 800 meters to the finish and I'm looking for a small purple bobble hat that belongs to a teddy bear <laughs> at the North Pole what am I doing I found it mind you and then when I did find it it was frozen and wouldn't go back on his head oh um, but um, yeah um, he, you know after that because I'd done so well out there um, people from around the world he, he wants his own fan club so they send me teddy bears and make signs <laughs> Percy Supporter Club in, in Chile or um, wherever it might be sort of you know sort of Africa or somewhere he's got, he's got groups of fans all around the world oh that's so, so sweet yeah 
And um, you have done these races in extreme temperatures and hills. What's the hardest one you've done? Truly, the hardest races I've ever run are the fast road marathons. Not Antarctica. No. <laughs> no. Because Truly, I mean, I was kitted out to go there. I've got 26.2 miles in my legs all day long now. Um, to run fast for 26.2 miles, to have the nerve to stand on that start line and know that you just want to go to 100% and to go through that race for two hours, 40 minutes or whatever and to pray that something doesn't, the wheels don't come off at any point, the knee doesn't hurt, you've got it right to produce your best on that day. And that's something you've been working for five months for solidly. Even in the taper period, the paranoia sets in. <gasps> Is that a cold sore? Have I stubbed my toe? Is that a pain? Is that, you know, you really do go through it when you want, there's no margin, no wriggle room. You know what you can do. You've invested everything in it. They, they've been the real, real achievements. And they do say you've only got, one or two fast marathons in you a year and pretty much no other races. The recovery after them can be like four or five weeks. And pretty much I've run two a year and nailed them mm. every year that I've selected them. Um, the Marathon de Sable is very, very hard for different reasons. It's a logistical nightmare. You start literally, people say, well, what do you do when you finish the stage? Oh, you go back to your tent and you do such glamorous things as try to find a teaspoonful of water to wash your socks in or you sit and count your painkillers or your boiled sweets and that kind mm -hmm. of thing um everything is very precious the marathon de salva particular is more of a learning curve about life when you come back into your normal life you turn the tap on and you think you're blessed this is beautiful to be able to get water you're not bothered whether it's fizzy or sparkling or apple flavored it's just fluid it's water you become very very aware of the precious commodities that we're blessed to have but take for granted mm -hmm. north pole and antarctica they're very very difficult to run in obviously the cold the only thing about you've got to be a very very good judge of pace what you do not want to do is slow down if you slow down you will get hypothermia and run into problems if you can judge your pace i'm very very good judge of pace i don't do it with a garmin i don't work with any computers I always say that you've got the most sophisticated computer known to man in your head. Why not use it and learn to use it a bit more? Because something bleeping at you at your wrist doesn't know that you've had a hard night, you've had a cold. It's just telling you, you know, you get obsessed with it. You concentrate on that. You don't actually concentrate on what your body's telling you. And that's the same with the diet. I'm pretty much well aware that if I'm lacking something, if you learn to read the messages your body's sending you personally, rather than what other people are telling you you should do, that's yeah. the most important thing to me. Absolutely. And Keegan, when you're filming this, how is your body reacting to the weather? And how are you following her? Because you're not running the marathons too, right? Yeah. So I'm filming Marathon of Sala against 156 miles through the Sahara Desert. I was doing between 7 and 15 miles a day with her. And I mm -hmm. had, so I had a support vehicle that I could access about half the course by the vehicle. Mm -hmm. The other half I'd have to the driver would say, hey, so if you go over that mountain range and then you go down and you go through across that valley, that's where the, the course is. Wow. So it was a lot of, a lot of running and hauling mm -hmm. gear. But, you know, it's when you're watching people compete at this extreme level, it makes you feel like, hey, what I'm doing is nothing. Like, I, yeah. this, is a lot, this is easy. This is easy compared to what they're doing. So that's that mindset I think is a big part of it. You didn't even have a PA doing that for you. No. no. I'd be like, where's my PA? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, it was me and, and the driver. Wow. That's yeah. incredible. And so I heard um, Tiff, our videographer, ask you earlier about 
your mindset when you're going into this and like how you kind of switch into an alter ego? Yeah, you, I mean, I don't personally thrive on attention. So if you, you've really got to have confidence that everything you've done, you've done absolutely everything you can do. Nobody can do it for you out mm-hmm. there. You've got to know. But my training, there's no coach to ask. I don't, I don't lose that reliance on my coach or need it because I haven't got one. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, you just have to have the right mental mindset and absolute faith in what you have done. And the one thing I do, I'm not very quick, I'm not talented, but I'm very, very consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that you would go back to the recovery and the longevity of the vegan plant-based diet. Because with a marathon, it's, it's no good being sporadic. You, you know, I trained really hard and then I'd injure myself. So I couldn't. You just constantly, constantly, constantly keep pushing back those barriers to get to your best performance. And that's something that I am good at. I, I, I will walk to the start of a marathon and I will be looking at everyone, including the guy in the Superman suit and thinking, oh, they look better than me. They look. And suddenly when you're standing there, it's this Fiona just disappears mm. and um, a very, very business-like and very, very hard and ruthless Fiona appears yeah. off this shoulder and jumps onto this one and I can really make it hurt when I... I couldn't hurt another living soul, but I can certainly dish it out to myself. Is it meditative to run? Um, it's... I, I mean, I don't meditate... <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's my thinking time. I can put the world to rights when I'm running. It's the only time I actually get to f- just focus on one thing. Mm-hmm. And I do just focus. And But obviously, I'm thinking all the time, planning for the future. I mean, I'm not just... I don't think about the running when I'm doing it. That's just go on to autopilot and run. Apart from when I'm doing speed sessions, when I do have to concentrate a little bit more. It's very, very helpful to me. I can plan for what I'm doing with the sanctuary. But also, yeah, I, c- I go out there and I, I, I know that I'm doing something positive. Looking after 450 animals is benefiting those 450 animals. By running, it gives me inspiration to know that actually every step I take, somewhere along the line, it could do a bit of good. I mean, my own GP, I have I only touch would go to the GP for the certificates, um, that you have to have for these extreme racers. And I went there a few years ago for the first one, the first ECG I had to have, um, because my own GP was actually quite abusive towards me because of the plant-based diet. And um, she, she wrote to me last year in October and said, I've now gone full vegan and so have my family wow so yeah i mean that wasn't something i planned i better go and see that doctor because if she's going to go vegan in five years time i didn't but those are the things that have been the real wins for me that means more to me than winning this marathon in a course record yeah knowing that that there's i've changed somebody's mindset that they can then go out and change many more mindsets like little satellite groups that that's what means a lot to me and you do this for the animals, and you are a vegan, and that is your message, and I've seen you run in a cow suit, but there's a moment in the film where we see kind of mainstream media rejecting what you're doing and saying, well, we want to talk to you, but you can't talk about this angle. So what happened there? Um, that was the BBC. When I came back from the North Pole Marathon, I'd broken the course record. Vegan woman goes out there with small teddy bird, breaks course record, places with a man, gets on the podium, and that sort of thing. And the BBC contacted me, which was very unusual for me, because I'm always kind of looking, oh, why haven't they caught up on that? Why haven't they got on it? And they said, you know, that's great. Come up to Salford, bring your mum, bring your teddy bear, open and close the BBC breakfast show, which I thought, yeah, that's great. So I put the phone down to them, and about half an hour later, the researcher rang, and she said, you know, just want to go through what you're going to be wearing, you know, schedules, and the fact that we really don't want you to mention the fact you're vegan. 
that's something that is kind of off limit. And you're like, this is why I do this. Yeah, this is the whole reason why I do it. And actually, that was actually the reason that I did actually mention it in the end, because I kind of say, why do you do this? And, you know, it was actually, I was wondering if I could dare say it. And I couldn't come out and fully say it. But obviously, I'm an honorary patron of the Vegan Society. I wanted to do something to celebrate this Diamond Jubilee. And that's why I selected a race, which I thought would garner retention mm-hmm. to raise the actual reason that I'm doing this. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's almost like the media are geared up to this. Uh, they don't want an alternative agenda. If I'd have gone on there and said, well, I'm just an airhead, an adrenaline junkie, and it right. just seemed great, I've done everything else, they'd really kind of like that. But if you say you've done it for a reason, they back away from it, and they certainly don't like the reason that I've done it for, which to promote. This is back in 2013, for the agenda I've got. This is before veganism became so mainstream as it is now. Right. They really weren't going with it at all. And that's what I found along the way, you know, a Daily Mail, Inspirational Woman of the Year. Mum went and bought, like, 50 copies of a newspaper, brought them home, thought we triumphed. And going through it all, and you find that the veganism isn't mentioned. Why mm. did this woman do this? You know, because... Um, I'm basically vegan, but they don't choose to mention it. They tend to focus on the fact, woman runs 400, you know, uh, miles or, you know, in a cow suit or whatever uh, to raise money for the animal sanctuary. People can kind of, uh, they can kind of relate to that. But if the real reason they shy away from, and the press and media know that. And I think the only reason now that they're uptaking on it is the fact that social media has made veganism so kind of semi-mainstream that to to uh, it's a story in itself. So they've kind of got to go with it. Um, but it's been difficult. I really have had a lot of problems. If I hadn't have been vegan, I am in no doubt that I would have received more press. It's been very detrimental if I'd have been just going out there wow. for press for myself, definitely. Oh, my God. And this is, Keegan, you can relate to this because that's what your films are about, Cowspiracy and What the Health directly deal with the fact that mainstream media doesn't want to cover this. And can you talk a little bit about this and how it, how you saw it affect her? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the reason why there's such a strong need for independent media like you know, the Food Heals podcast is for that reason, is that we have to create that media because mainstream media isn't picking it up. Yeah. Um, and that's her main motivation for doing this documentary about Fiona is that, that reason. She's not getting the press attention that she really deserves. You know, There are people who don't have a tenth of the achievements that Fiona has that get ten times more credit wow. and, and more time. And so it's... It's doing that, and I think we all have to do that is use our own voices as much as possible to elevate the message and elevate others who are promoting a, a positive message, whether that's veganism or social consciousness or environmental awareness, and whatever it is, something that pushes a, a positive agenda forward. And is that one of the main reasons that you were like, I have to do this film? Absolutely. It's that, it's that, and then also Fiona's motivation of breaking the stereotype that veganism holds you back from anything. Fiona shows that veganism doesn't hold you back from anything. I mean, she's set multiple course records for marathons, at, you know, some of the most extreme course marathon for Antarctica, course marathon for the North Pole. North Pole. I mean, on and on and on, run pretty much every extreme race in the world. Veganism hasn't ever held her back. And in wow. fact, you know, you could even argue that it's, it's benefited her. It must have benefited me because actually I've got no talent. I've got no kneecap. <laughs> you know, when I'm out there hitting yeah. it. So it's got to be something. And it's, it's certainly none of those things. So it's got to be something that's pushing me and driving me up there. So it's got to be that. Well, I would argue the fact that you were told you would never walk again. And 17 surgeries, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is unheard of. Most people, because I think uh, their mindset and society tells them, well, you are done for. And therefore, they get depressed, they eat poorly, they think I'm going to be in a wheelchair or whatever. And so they decide their own fate. But you decided your own fate. And you said, I'm going to do this. I don't care what they say. That's what's so remarkable. 
Yeah, probably the one thing that I have got is a strong will and ability yeah. and a drive. But I was actually saying earlier, Tiff, it's it probably because I was taken out of school about 13 years old because I started with these surgeries. I didn't just have my kneecap removed when I was 17. I was in and out of, opera, you know, having operations. So I was at home all the time. So I didn't actually have any learning process or any kind of habitual process to break. Yeah. I was kind of farrowing my own kind of way from that point. So um, it's just me, and I've developed as me without that kind of stereotypical input you get in establishments such as schools in the UK back in the 80s or whatever. And where does that drive come from? It comes from just a passionate belief that I want to help animals. I really want to help them. I, I think what we do is abhorrent exploitation of any, any individual, whether it be human or non-human, is so abhorrent to me. I cannot understand why in the 21st century it still continues. I cannot understand why people aren't waking up themselves and coming to these decisions. And it's just through frustration. I just want to do more and more and more. Everything I've ever done, in some way, I've tried to manipulate for the animals. Like, a lot of people don't know that I'm a retained firefighter. And when I was asked to join the fire brigade, it was the decision, do I want to commit this time to this but then I was thinking well I'll be the only female I'll certainly be the only vegan it's bringing veganism to an audience that wouldn't necessarily accept it or have to accept it or even be aware of it that's what my veganism has been out because I couldn't just go onto social media it's always taking opportunities creating opportunities and thinking can I run with this for the animals so making the fire brigade address the fact that I don't want the leather footwear so they've got source boots from Italy for me. Oh, my God. That sort of thing, you know. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that, that sort of thing, you know, that I have a right and um, they have to fulfil that right if I'm working for them. So it's, it's all been about that kind of thing, just subtly introducing it and saying, you know, uh, this is something that you might not go along with it, you might not become vegan, but you've got to consider it and respect it. Yeah, for others. And so what was the reaction when you decided, like, I'm going to join, I'm going to be a firefighter? Well, I didn't actually decide it. Somebody kind of decided it for me. I was out running <laughs> one day and a guy pulled up next to me and said, you know, literally, oh, you, you look fit. We're looking for firefighters. Have you ever thought about becoming one? And it's like not top of my agenda every morning when I wake up. Do I think, oh, I must, like, you know, go and look out the animals and what about becoming a firefighter? But he said, look, it, there again, it was something local that I could do. It wasn't time constrictive. I could do, I could be off the run in the day when the animals needed me and at night and bank holidays and when Marty, my partner's at home, I could go and do the fire service. It brought in extra money and it, get, it gave this other dimension to veganism. Let's put it in the fire service. I was the only female in our division, let alone the vegan female. And when I went for my induction course at head office, they kind of were very reluctant to accept me. And um, there was an incident over a cup of tea and um, they put dairy milk in it. And I didn't want it and it was a hot day and they said, you got to drink it. And I said, no, no, no. And it all came out, I just spluttered out, I'm a vegan. And it was like the um, sub-officer in charge was like pushed his face into mine and said, well, the last one of those we had here lasted three hours, let me tell you that. But that was a bloke, so I don't give you very long. Oh, my and, God. Uh, at the end of the day, when I'd been accepted oh. and that sort of thing, he'd got to kind of, you know, check this, you know, because I can do it. Did you tell him that I've won four? I hadn't at the time. <laughs> this is uh, this is before I did that. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. But, now you're like, yeah, see? Yeah, but, yeah, so that's what it's all about. You know, um, I'm not um, a kind of confrontational person. I, I would rather just deliver something and say, make draw your own conclusions from that. Um, I remember once I was contacted by a vegan group in Stockholm and they were desperate for a picture of me that I'd got running up the mouth in London Marathon with no other runners around me in my vegan runner top. And they said, the only problem is if we put this on this billboard in the middle of Stockholm, 
we can't put your name on it. I said, I don't want my name on it. Mm-hmm. I just want that word, that image out there. I don't care if no one knows who's wearing the vest. The vest, the image is there. This is obviously an elite runner coming up the mile. She's alone. You've got the helicopters above her. That's what I want. I don't yeah. care about myself. That's secondary of no importance. I'm of no importance. That word is very, very important to me, very precious to me, and that other people see it exposed in a positive way, not the negativity. Yeah, amazing. And Keegan, same question to you. What drives you? I mean, really, a lot of what Fiona said, it's it's a deep desire for promoting justice. You know, that's justice for non-human animals and human animals, is that there's a desperate need for ending exploitation for everybody. And that includes the environment as well. And that's why all of the films that I've done have been on that message, is trying to raise awareness and try and give people the opportunity to liberate themselves from exploitative situations, whether that's the exploitive situation that they're in by the health industry, the animal agri industry, the food industry, the prison industrial complex, whatever it is, is you know, elevating ourselves and others outside of exploitation. What's next for you? So I have a, I mean, so we're, <laughs> we're premiering Running for Good. Uh, it's coming out very soon uh, online and in theaters. Um, but I'm working on a new film called Hungry for Justice, which is following my friend John Lewis, who's known as the Badass Vegan. Yes. And John Lewis is originally from Ferguson, Missouri, grew up in, fortunately, Ferguson has always been a, a violent and impoverished community. Right. And it's a film looking at why is it, and it's a question that he asks in the film and we search for answers, why is it that Americans of color suffer from disproportionately higher rates of chronic disease, chronic heart disease, cancer, and diabetes in particular? Mm-hmm. And why don't they have access and, and education? And that's it. And so food access is a huge part of that. Um, but we look at the historical implications of the colonial diet, that mm-hmm. we have this Western European diet that's been pushed on communities around the world that are high in meat, dairy, and eggs that don't benefit human health, yeah. and that's part of colonialism that continues today. Um, we look at the fact that institutionalized racism plays in the medical industry, that even when African Americans are diagnosed with these diseases, they're more likely, sometimes 10 times higher, to die from these diseases than Caucasian Americans. Yep. And why is that? So it's a, it's a big, deep investigative film, but we're doing it through the lens of hip-hop because hip-hop Ooh. is arguably the most influential art form in human history. Mm-hmm. What hip-hop artists wear, say, drive, eat, drink, and do and purchase affects the purchasing power of millions of people around the world. So there's a huge number of really influential hip-hop and R&B artists who are talking about veganism, plant-based diet, or conscious eating. And so we're utilizing them and their platforms to talk about the benefits uh, in a larger social context. So it's a really powerful film. We're about halfway through shooting right now, and we hope to have it out next year, probably uh, fall 2019. I have an amazing person for your interview. I will tell you after because I work in social justice as well. Um, But I will uh, remind me to let you know. Where can everyone find you online? So you can find me at First Spark Media, uh, firstsparkmedia.net, or Instagram at firstsparkmedia. Runningforgoodfilm.com is a great place to keep up to date with about what's going on with the film and runningforgood underscore film on social media. Awesome. And you have an event this weekend? Yeah, I'm at the uh, Switch for Good Summit, which is for plant-based athletes, really teaching us um, how to roll out your achievements to the masses. So obviously you've done these things, but how to get the message out there to the greater masses that it can be done. So there's athletes from all, all events, all walks of life that we're kind of going to get together and kind of uh, really kind of put a plan together of how to 
show the world that we do exist. There are, you know, because now is the time to grab the opportunity. I come from a time when people weren't interested. You'd be literally dragging them to a classroom and forcing them to sit down and listen. Now people are curious. They want to know. So now is the time to jump on and tell them. So that's what that's all about. Oh, so exciting. Amazing. All right. Fiona, where can everyone find you online? Well, they can find me on Facebook, Fiona Oaks, and uh, TowerHillStables.org. Or just uh, pretty much, I, I'm not very good with this, but people just say Google Fiona and Marathon and I come up and you can just write to me. Uh, I definitely uh, did that to research yeah, this podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way of finding me. That's what tends to locate me. And for me, what's next is I've got the Atacama Crossing at the end of September, which is another multi-stage race. Then I want to just do a sub 3 marathon in Macau suit, break another world record. And then I'm going back to Marathon de Sable next year. Um, oh, my God. You're not, so you're not going to stop. No, but the big, big, biggest thing is we've just expanded the sanctuary. We've just bought a farm. Wow. And so, obviously, Congratulations. thank you, because it's just a blessing. And I, we only, we only took, kind of completed on it last week. So more animals, more rescue, but also use it as an education centre, some kind of centre of excellence for the vegan runners to meet. They don't actually have, because they're kind of virtual. There's lots of vegan runners in the country, but they haven't got one meeting place mm. for them to be able to meet there hook up have ideas we're even talking about starting our own vegan runner half or full marathon in the area that I work so I want to promote oh, the running wow. veganism through running because that's what I do best I'm not a social media expert I, I know running I yeah. know how to do that so just yeah very very exciting and you know as I say I say to Keegan I get up at 3 30 every morning but I've got loads of energy and I just want to do more because you're a long time dead yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> so that's basically it. What you've got to do, what you can while you're here, um, and live with no regrets. Well, I'm inspired. I know everyone in this studio is super inspired. So thank you guys so much for being here. I need to up my game on everything now after doing this interview. So I really appreciate you guys coming in. Thank you so much for having thanks, us. Thanks for having and me. And congrats on the film. It's amazing. Food Heals Nation. Go check it out. Well, I'm inspired. I know everyone listening at home is inspired. You can watch the film for free today. You can watch it from now until October 14th at runningforgoodfilm.com. Food Heals Nation, have you ever thought your story was so good it should be in a book? Well, now is your chance. Food Heals is coming out with our first ever book. It will be a beautiful anthology of healing stories. In the spirit of Chicken Soup for the Soul, this Food Heals anthology will share short, powerful stories that enlighten, educate, and inspire. It will cover a broad range of topics from nutrition, healing chronic disease, animal activism, overcoming trauma, healthy parenting, exercise, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and so much more. Today, we are opening up submissions to you, Food Heals Nation. Imagine your story in a book, on people's bookshelves, on their coffee tables, in their porch swings, and on their bedside tables. Getting your healing journey out into the world could truly make a difference in someone else's life. We have openings to share 10 Food Heals Nation listener stories. We would love to hear from you. Stories are due no later than October 25th, 2018, and should be first person in under 1,500 words. We see this as a valuable opportunity to share your story with a wider audience and to help them realize their health is in their hands and they have the power to thrive mind body, and spirit. To submit your short story, go to foodhealsnation.com slash submit. 
These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to actually start using their $39.99 a month gym membership. If you experience any of these symptoms, Snapchat your trainer immediately. 